morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning, everyone. It's 10.52 a.m. Central Standard Time, February the 1st, 2019. We are one day away from Groundhog Day. That's right. Groundhog Day, uh, that's marmots for people like Preston Byrne, if you know who that is. Uh, <coughs> let's uh, let's get right on into the morning roundup. Uh, there's a couple of things here. I'm not going to get too far in depth because we got some other stuff to uh, we got better fish to fry. Uh, Money Triggs at Money Triggs T R I G Z has a tweet that asks a very good question. Why Coindesk has published zero articles on one of the coolest projects being built by Bitcoin community without raising money. And he's talking about the BTC pay server. And yeah, going back and and looking around, it does not look like uh, our friends over at uh, Coindesk has written a single word about BTC pay server, uh, which is a damn shame because BTC Pay Server uh, enables people to basically have a cash register uh, pretty much wherever they want to be and be their own, uh, well, be- basically be their own credit card company when it comes to taking Bitcoin. And uh, they take a few other things. They allow for a few other things too, Litecoin, I think Monero, maybe Zcash, not exactly sure. Maximalists, you know, and I'm I'm sort of counting myself mostly in the maximalist camp, kind of not happy about that. But, you know, it's their company. They can do whatever the hell they want with it. So we'd probably be well advised to, you know, kind of shut up and let them do whatever it is that they want and, you know, maybe not be all that hard on them because they are promoting Bitcoin. So that's what we want to see. In either event, no matter what coin that they have, uh, that they're making allowances for. They started out with Bitcoin. They remain a uh, massive Bitcoin proponent. And Coindesk, in their, for whatever reason, has not said a single word on BTC Pay Server, which, as Money Trig points out, took $0 from investors to build. They built it because they love the community. They want to push Bitcoin and they built it all by themselves without any money. And one of the major media outlets in the space just refuses to report on it. So Coindesk, why are you not writing a story about BTC pay server? Uh, I'd like to, I'd like to actually hear that answer. I don't think we're going to get one. But be that as it may, let's move on up into the stack where we have uh, at Casa Hodel on Twitter has announced 
that, well, they're announcing, <laughs> this is really cool. They're announcing the Casa browser extension. Okay, so um, this is going to allow for lightning transactions. Uh, it's going to be able to allow your browser to connect with your local no, uh, lightning node and, and Bitcoin node and uh, enable uh, browser uh, lightning browser payments uh, at, at your fingertips. This is really cool. But what's even more cool is that one of the guys that they're working with is um da, 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 who is it i just had it will o'burney um is the guy that made um oh the jewel extension for uh i believe chrome and anyway in, anyway so uh what yeah what they say about that is so we are thrilled to see will o'burney's launch of the jewel extension in late 2018 and to see the enthusiastic community response, we immediately began testing Jewel and reached out to Will to find a way to work together. Will's community-driven development approach and feature set was somewhat different from our fast-paced and design-driven internal approach. So over the course of a few meetings, we decided that the best path to build out all the features, feature ideas was to do both, but separate. <laughs> nice. I like that. Uh, we are actively working with Will to integrate Jewel now that our CASA node is updated to work with extensions. We would also like to support other integrations. Please reach out, yada, yada, yada. So now because Jewel or Jewel, uh, because uh, the CASA people are have now have browser extensions, it's going to be it's going to be pretty straightforward for uh, loan developers to be able to build in conjunction with Casa. Um, and I, you know, who knows what's going to fall out of this, uh, th these integrations. It's, it's going to be cool. Um, being able to, to just sit at your computer and be able to, you know, with a couple of clicks, pay a lightning invoice uh, to get, you know, Goods and services, news stories, maybe unlock videos, uh, BTC pay server, like a, we talked about it, I think sometime last week, maybe the week before, had built, um, it, they have a couple of people that are, or at least one person that's building out the ability to use BTC pay server as a uh sort of like a Patreon platform, which is really cool considering that Patreon is one of the major people in Silicon Valley that is uh, deplatforming people left and right for no good reason other than they don't agree with, with the things that they say. Um, there's a lot of people that got deplatformed and they never called for violence and they never really said anything racist. They actually, they didn't say anything racist. Uh, you go back through what it is they say and try to figure out why the hell they got deplatformed. You're kind of left wanting as to a good reason, but the only reason is they don't agree with the per that person's politics. So now BTC Pay Server is firmly in the driver's seat of being able to build out uh, systems that people can use to replace Patreon, and we're we're seeing that with. Um, People like uh, Jordan Peterson, although uh, Jordan Peterson's, I don't think is using BTC Pay Server, but it, it doesn't matter because he's him and a couple of other people voluntarily pulled their own <coughs> deplatforming and uh, pulled themselves off Patreon and went to um, 
I can't remember the name of the service, but it's it's another it's another Patreon. It's kind of like a Patreon clone, but they're the people that are running that running that place are either in not able to pull the plug on their uh, the people that are using their services, or they are unwilling to pull the plug because they don't have to answer to the same kind of people that uh, the higher ups at Patreon do. So let's get up into the stack into the last one for the day is a tweet storm that I find interesting. However, I don't know if it's all valid, although a couple of these things I, um, I've been, oh, I've been, I've known about for a couple of years now. So this is from Plan B on Twitter. Uh, the Twitter handle is at 100, the number 100 trillion USD, all one word. It starts off, one, did you know, between 2010 and 2013, former Mike Hearn, then a tech lead at Google's offices in Zurich, Switzerland, designed a security system that was later tapped by the NSA and the GCHQ. The Snowden leaks revealed the existence of the surveillance taps in late 2013. For those of you who don't know, Mike Hearn was given the keys um, to uh, the GitHub repository uh, for Bitcoin way back in the day, uh, I think from, oh, Gavin... Gavin Andreessen, somewhere like that. Anyway, he famously he famously uh, quit Bitcoin, like I want to say three years ago, saying that he sold all his Bitcoin. And three years ago, as we know, he basically was selling his Bitcoin for a low price, a really low, low price, <coughs> and said Bitcoin was no going nowhere, or in fact, it was going to zero, and it was terrible, and we shouldn't use it. And then now all of a sudden, uh, you know, we're finding out that he actually had designed security systems that were going to be used by the uh, national security agency. So plan B goes on. Number two, did you know Craig S. Wright, AKA fake Toshi works with the department of Homeland security on tracking users, etc. Yes. Yes. Plan B. I did know that. Three, did you know Gavin Andreessen worked with the CIA explaining details on Bitcoin, etc.? Yes, I was aware of that. In fact, when Gavin told Satoshi that he was going to, he was invited, uh, that he got an invitation to talk to the FBI about Bitcoin and that he was going to go, within 48 hours, Satoshi was gone. Never to be heard from again. Complete ghost. Not even a ghost. Hell, even ghosts sometimes will rattle pots and pans, maybe shake a chain to scare the shit out of somebody. Mm-mm, not in Satoshi's case. That dude said bye and was gone. So you got Gavin to Gavin to thank for that. Although I suspect that Satoshi was going to leave no matter what. No matter what happened or who said what to who or who picked up the phone and called whatever, I think he was always going to make an uh, an exit, and I think that that particular situation when Gavin said he was going to go talk to the CIA, um, uh, I think that was I think Satoshi sat down and said, "Damn, there is no better there is no better time for me to make my exit," 
and handed Gavin the keys. I don't know why he handed Gavin the keys, but he did and said, here's the repository. Uh, go on, go on with yourself in either event. Uh, number four. Now, what was one of the, what was the one thing Mike Hearn, Craig Wright and Gavin Andreessen were pushing in Bitcoin and why five big blocks, because that undermines Bitcoin's P2P slash decentralized nature and forces Bitcoin back onto a central server that can be easily controlled and or taken down as indeed happened with some Bitcoin predecessors and many altcoins like Ethereum and Fura, Ripple, etc., etc. Number six, just leaving these docs for fun. And of course, these, you know, he's got a couple of pictures of uh, heavily redacted documentation. You're never going to get anything out of the uh, federal government that doesn't have a buttload of ink all over it. Number seven, one more thing. This is not secret or anything. The technical term is HUMINT. Rand Corporation published a study slash 101 manual for DOD, how to attack virtual currencies. I especially refer to page 70, attacks used by tier one and tier two opponents. And uh, Plan B has a link to that rand.org documentation. Number eight and the last one, TLDR. DDoS centralized services, mining pools, online wallets, exploit market rules, majority mining power consensus, use and construct zero day exploits, vulnerabilities, exchanges, wallets, apps, infect mining hardware, corrupt software, human bribe or co-opt devs. So, yeah, like I said, I don't know how, you know, how much of the rest of it's true. Gavin Andreessen did go to the CIA. Um, Mike Hearn uh, did work for Google and actually did write some security system uh, software that was tapped by the NSA. Um, as to the rest of it, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. The human, human intelligence, Rand Corporation stuff. Um, that could very well be tinfoil hattery. I don't know. I mean, there's lots of stuff that goes on in the world that has gone on in the world that actually did happen. And when we look back on it, we go, you know, realize that if we had talked about it during the time that it was happening before we figured it out, we would have been labeled tinfoil hatters. So I am certainly not, uh, looking at plan B like they're, uh, crazy because all, you know, so, uh, half of the stuff they talked, he talked about in this thread is actually true, but, uh, all this is going to be my curated Twitter feed. You'll be able to get to that, uh, link to the, as a link in the show notes. If you want to go to direct to the documentation and see what it is, this, uh, gentleman's talking about. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, phones will go off. They will do it. Uh, In either event, that's going to be it for your morning roundup. Marty's Bent Time. It's Friday, February the 1st, 2019, and this is his issue, 411. Can Bitcoin mining help this? And he starts off with a tweet from Eric Lipton at Eric Lipton NYT. 
Um, and he has a tweet that says, I saw the environment implications firsthand in North Dakota in November as oil production has surged. So has flaring of associated natural gas and methane leaks. And he's got a, a video of a flare field out there in, in North Dakota in a, what appears to be a snowstorm. Um, so what, is, uh, what does Marty have to say about this? Yes, it can. As has been discussed in this rag many times in the past, Bitcoin mining is a potential solution to the problem we face as a species that forces us to release methane and natural gas into the atmosphere without utilizing it because there's no efficient way to store and transport the excess energy. Uncle Marty is a big government guy. <laughs> I've been yelling at teenage freaks to clean up after themselves on the beach since I was 13. No one likes a dirty beach. Big believer in the every little bit helps mentality as well. And I think it's time to apply that more earnestly to the ever-growing fervor around climate change. As most of the world sits idly, waiting for incompetent politicians to draft legislation that will quote-unquote save the planet via extortion and draconian measures, we should be encouraging private enterprise to be as efficient as possible with their operations. There should be no waste at these drilling sites in a world which Bitcoin exists. We should be making a major PR push directed at these drilling companies, urging them to not be so wasteful with their operations. Why let that energy go to waste when there are Bitcoin miners looking for cheap energy all over the globe? These pillagers should be hitting up companies like Upstream Data, selling that ac excess methane at very cheap prices and helping the world become more in energy efficient while securing the soundest money the world has ever seen. It's a win-win for all involved. The solution to a lot of wasteful energy drilling practices is right in front of our faces. Let's not let this opportunity pass us by. Why wait for the politicians to figure this out when free market solutions exist today? Thinking aloud here, maybe we can compromise with the government and convince them to find drilling companies that don't sell their excess energy to roving Bitcoin mining operations for being too wasteful? would incentivize efficient energy usage, make these drillers more profitable, Bitcoin more secure, and the environment better off. Final thought, haven't been this unenthused by a Super Bowl in a minute. Enjoy your weekend, freaks. I have hated, I, I've hated the, the uh, Super Bowl for years. Uh, really, I think, I think it was the Super Bowl where the, where we first coined the term wardrobe incident or malfunction or whatever the hell they called that Janet Jackson travesty, which if you believe that that was a wardrobe malfunction, you're fooling yourself because she had these weird things that were like, I don't know, like nipple piercings or something like that, that covered the entire area that is off limits to show on television. Now think about that. Go back and look. The top, the top gets pulled off and there's this, I, if I remember right, it's like this brass colored sun emblem that covers the entirety of the area of the nipple and the uh, corresponding ring around it, which are the no-no areas for the Federal Communications Commission. Uh, that was not an accident. That was not a wardrobe malfunction. That was on purpose, people. 
That was on purpose. It was on purpose. They knew it was coming. The director knew it was going to be there. The cameraman knew it was going to be there. The uh, line editor knew it was going to be there. Everybody knew it was going to be there. Everybody. And for anybody who still thinks to this day that that was a quote unquote malfunction, doesn't know their ass from a hole in the ground. I'm sorry, but it's true. That was completely on purpose. Okay, getting back to uh, Marty's Bent. Um, I'm going to use Marty's Bent to roll into today's discussion on on permaculture. Uh, Because, you know, we're talking about in in what ways does Bitcoin and permaculture um, not only, well, not just overlap, but where are they similar? Where you know is is can they complement each other? Is there something from one model that can be applied to the to the other model? And uh, as you guys have been following along, I've been inside of uh, Bill Mollison's book Permaculture: A Designer's Manual, which was published in 1988, and. <clears throat> We get, I'm like, I'm actually in chapter three entitled Methods of Design. And I came across this, uh, this design principle uh, last night and wanted to uh, uh, figure out a way to be able to present it here and was just looking for something uh, when Marty wrote this thing about flaring off of, of waste gases in uh, oil production. And so let me go ahead and read it to you. Uh, a pollutant is an output of any system component that is not being used productively by any other component of the system. Extra work is the result of an input not automatically provided by another component of the system. I mean, re- I'm going to read that one more time. A pollutant is an output of any system component that is not being used productively by any other component of the system. Extra work is the result of an input not automatically provided by another component of the system. And uh, the flaring of, of natural gas uh, and methane in the field is a prime example of that. So what, what's going on? What, what's going on in the oil industry? Um, I know a little bit about this because I kind of grew up on oil wells when I was a kid. My dad drilled them for a living um, or hired people to drill them. He was a, a petroleum engineer, not a, not a driller. So he his job would basically be to put the entire deal together get the people who could punch a hole in the ground, uh, get teams of people who could recover what was found in the ground, and then find people who would buy whatever came out of, out of said ground. Uh, so he was sort of the pro, you know, product or, or project you know, management guy that, that did all that, plus made sure that where they were drilling wasn't going to come up as a dry hole. That said, there's a um, every time that almost every single time that you hit oil, you're going to hit associated natural gas. That's just the way it goes. Um, now, there are natural gas fields that are more natural gas than anything else, um, but it's still associated with uh, oil, uh, oil production. 
Um, so what happens is you drill, you punch a hole in the ground, you get down to about anywhere between 8,000 and 15,000 feet down, and you're going to hit pockets of natural gas as well as oil. And then when you frack that thing, and I'm not talking about the fracking that goes on the modern notion of fracking that everybody is, is uh, concerned about in the news. Fracking, what I'm talking about is simply the fracturing of the geologic formation down in the ground where the oil is present that makes the oil flow more freely into the, uh, into the wellhead, essentially. Uh, it, it literally does what it says. In fact, it's, it, it, it's a huge gun. Uh, they send it down whole. Uh, and this is, you know, this, this is also done in, uh, in regular fracking, but it's like they pump a lot of stuff down there. It's like surfactants and whatnot, which they didn't used to do back in the day when I was a kid. Um, all they would do is they'd send down a, a, a piece, it looked like a piece of pipe on a string and it was loaded with about, I don't know, anywhere from 20, 40, 60, maybe even 80 rounds of good old fashioned 44 Magnum ammunition. I, I don't think they had exploding heads because it would have probably damaged the downhole tool. But essentially what they do is they just drop it down the hole. They get to the, uh, get to the point where the uh, geologic formation that holds the oil is they stop the tool, which is hang essentially hanging from a great big old steel cable and fire the tool. So all the firing pins uh, get fired and then the 45 slug slams into the ground uh, or into the side of the hole. And when it does that, it completely fractures that area of the hole. Um, and that enables oil to start filling up through the cracks and that way it makes it easier to, to gain access to the oil. Well, when you do that, you're fracturing the, you know, the entire geologic formation at depth. And wherever there's oil, there's natural gas, which is essentially gaseous methane. Um, well, at, at room temperature, methane is always going to be gas, so never mind. In either event, that gas is going to come up along with the oil. And one of two things happens with it. Either the driller or, or whoever's you know running the show out there is already set up to be able to pipe or separate the, the methane off of that uh, oil flow into the uh, tank batteries and separate that out and send it into a pipeline dedicated for nat pressurized natural gas and send it to you know on down the line to a, a, a distribution network or it's flared off in the field because they are not set up to gather, contain, and then uh, send that natural gas on its way. When that occurs, uh, generally speaking, you, you got to flare the gas. Uh, we know for a long time that just sending you know methane up into the atmosphere is not good. But for most of the reasons that it's flared is that methane will kill your ass if you get a good if you if you breathe enough of it. Um, so to protect the people that are, that may get hit downwind instead of just f letting the methane go, they'd go ahead and burn it off. Um, so where does, where does Bitcoin mining come into that? Well, there are at least two companies, Upstream Data and Bitfury, and we're a little, uh, we're a little, uh, 
furious at Bitfury for some of the things that they've done that came to light. Um, I think I talked about it on the last show. But be that as it may, they both produce mining equipment for Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency mining that are stored in or, or built, can be built into um, storage containers like your regular run-in-the-mill <coughs> ribbed shipping containers. Lots of times you'll see Maersk written on the side of it. It's what you see on, on uh, cargo ships. Those are shipping containers. So they'll take like, I don't know, old ones, old, uh, refurb them, you know, make sure they're not leaking, make sure they're, you know, sturdy or whatnot. And then they'll fill them full of computer mining computers and uh, make it all the electrical connections on the inside. So essentially what it is, is it's plug and play. So you, you get one of these things, you put it on a truck, you go, you take it somewhere, you drop it in the field, you hook it up to electricity, and you hook it up to an internet connection, whether it be satellite uplink or wired connection on telephone pole, it doesn't really matter, but you're going to need some kind of internet connection as, as long as, as well as electricity. And then you crank up all, you, you crank up all the miners and then um, all of a sudden you're off to the races. You're uh, connected to the blockchain so you can start seeing what uh, uh, transactions are coming in. You can mine for the block. You can do all the good stuff that miners do. But you can do it anywhere there are two things. Electricity and an internet connection. So in this case, that flared gas could be now this is a slight it gets slightly problematic and people aren't really recognizing one of the issues um, about flared gas that I will get into but the for ease of, of talking about it right now that gas um, is basically just waste and that's what this thing is talking about it's a pollutant a pollutant is an output of any system component that is not being used productively by any other component of the system. Now, the system here is all of life, okay? And the pollutant here is methane gas that's being uh, either burnt off or sent direct into the atmosphere, which is not good. Uh, I'd much rather it be converted to heat. Uh, when you burn methane, you get three things. You get heat, you get water vapor and you get carbon dioxide. And that's always true for a complete combustion of any hydrocarbon or carbohydrate. In either event, um, this is a pollutant because I don't know what to do with it. In a lot of cases, there's just it's, it's hard to build a pipeline to take this stuff. So it's just it's actually cheaper for them to just go ahead and flare it off in the field and not get pegged by uh, some kind of EPA uh, warrant that says that they're uh, just throwing methane direct into the uh, atmosphere. At least with a uh, flaring, you have to go get a permit, a flare permit, and at least that way you're on paper, you're legal. So most of the oil producers will in fact flare that gas. So the argument here is, okay, well look, we take uh, upstream data container and we throw it next to some like an actively producing field that uh, that is having to flare uh, natural gas. So instead of flaring the natural gas, you just go ahead and make a small pipeline that goes to a generator, like the you know because you can hook this stuff, you can hook up flare gas direct into a generator. Again, there's some small problems here, but we'll get into that. Um, and then have that uh, that generator use the flare gas instead of being flared 
it makes electricity and that electricity gets pumped direct into the Bitcoin mining. And then the miner is able to actually sit there and mine and be connected to the internet again, either by satellite uplink or um, more, it would probably be better to use a, uh, a land uh, internet connection. And a lot of oil, oil fields are going to have internet connections because a lot of uh, their systems are now uh, opt optimized a lot of the systems are automated like when you need to close uh valves and and you know uh, open valves here close valves there send uh or the oil being produced into another tank because one of the tanks is full and send it to this pipeline to that pipeline there's a lot of uh internet connections out in the oil field now so that's not really that's not really an issue but the theory is, is that you can go ahead, use the flare gas, create electricity, and then do Bitcoin mining or some other cryptocurrency mining. Okay, that takes care of a pollutant that is in the system that is not being, you know, that's not being used or would, would because it wouldn't be used, it would be a pollutant. But here you have a component that is readily able to take the waste from another component of a system and use it as a full-blown input into the, into the Bitcoin mining system and then be able to mine Bitcoin. Okay, so where's the problem? It's not... Okay, you walk up, you're walking in the forest and you're thirsty and you go to, you see a stream of water. You go, wow, water. And it's clean and clear and crisp and cold. And it's very, very inviting. And you plunge your, your plastic bottle into it and you start take, pulling big old swigs off of the stream water. And uh, a day later or, you know, 12 hours later, you get sick. Looked pure. Looked good. Tasted good. What you didn't see was the half-rotten moose carcass that was half a mile upstream that was half in, half out of the same water that you were drinking, giving you all kinds of weird bacteria, amoebas, hookworms maybe, I don't know, whatever. But you're going to get sick. It looked clean, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the water is clean. There's a couple of things that you can do. You can filter it. You can boil it. You can uh, add some pills to uh, some tablets to the water to purify it. They're purification tablets for water. They work very, very well. I, if you're going to go hiking, I recommend you carry a pack of them just in case. Water is not the only thing that looks pure but ain't. And methane out of the ground is one of them. In fact, my dad used to call this shit sour gas. And the reason was, is not only does it contain methane, it contains hydrogen sulfide. Okay, so it's not as easy, guys, as just plugging this shit into a generator and, and cranking it up. Oh, yeah, you can do it, but you'll eat away the internal mechanisms of whatever generator that you're going to use uh, a lot faster than you might think. Because... Remember how I said that the complete combustion of a hydrocarbon or a carbohydrate gives you heat, water, and carbon dioxide? Well, that's only if it's a actual hydrocarbon or carbohydrate without anything else. And the the uh, presence of hydrogen sulfide, when you burn that with inside of, with methane, you're going to get four products. You're going to get 
heat. You're going to get carbon dioxide. You're going to get water vapor. And that water vapor is going to mix with the combustion of hydrogen sulfide to make sulfuric acid. Last I heard, sulfuric acid and metal bits, especially those that are hot, uh, that's not going to work real well. So we have to have a system between the waste gas input uh, or the waste gas output of the well before you can just throw it into a generator and burn it like it's clean and pure because it ain't. It's going to need to be, it's going to need to go through a couple of uh, chemical steps to remove the hydrogen sulfide. Otherwise, you're going to be buying a shit ton of generators. So, guys, I need you to kind of keep this shit in mind. It is going to be really, really rare that you run across methane coming out of the ground that is pure methane. It's going to have some kind of hydrogen sulfide associated with it which means that it's not as easy as hooking up a generator. Although, all that to say, it should be done. I think that it would be uh, beneficial for a mining company to hook up with a couple of um, chemical engineers, process, essentially process chemical engineers, and come up with a way to be able to quickly, efficiently, and cheaply filter the hydrogen sulfide out of the methane gas stream. And once you do that, you're you're fine. It doesn't matter if there's water vapor in the stream. Who gives a shit? That's not that big of a deal. But hydrogen sulfide will make sulfuric acid, and you burn that in, in an internal combustion engine, unless it's a porcelain engine, which they do have, but... I don't think you want to buy one for, for a generator. Um, it's going to destroy the generator's engine. Um, and you will replace that engine many, 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 many times. And every single time that you replace the engine in the Jenny, uh, you're going to incur cost and you're going to run into exactly how many times can I do this before I make no profit or am in the red on, uh, on income in either event. Um, it, the way this hooks up to, to permaculture is the fact that we do have this system. It is producing waste. That waste is useful. And this other thing here, I like the, the one that this says, the second sentence in this paragraph says extra work is the result of an input not automatically provided by another component of the system. In my opinion, that kind of works kind of works uh, both ways here. Because without, let's say we do get a process engineer, we are able to clean up the methane stream and we are able to hook the output of the oil well uh, methane production directly into a generator and we start mining Bitcoin and we're making money. That is a direct, almost a direct connection. Okay, what happens when that connection is not made? Okay, we have two problems. One is on the oil field side. They got to flare the gas off. And they end up with, they got permit costs. They've got inspection costs. At one point or another, their permits run out. If they don't have another, if they don't have another permit ready to go, then they got to shut down production of that particular oil well. There's all kinds of problems associated with the fact that this pollutant, and it's a pollutant only because it cannot be used for something else because of where they are out in BFE normally. Um, 
that's the only reason it's a pollutant. On the other side, we have Bitcoin mining that is not getting injected with clean methane from the oil field. They're, the extra work there, they got to go find electricity from somewhere. They either got to go buy a shit ton of it under contract from an electrical producer, hopefully, you know, wind turbine or uh, hydroelectric or, you know, some kind of non-polluting situation, or they just got to buy it wherever it is that they can. This causes them extra work and does not guarantee a profit because even after all that extra work, they might find out that no matter where they go, they're not going to be able to buy the electricity cheap enough for them to be able to make a profit on it. So all the extra work that is done by the oil field and the extra work that is being done by miners, if you put those two together and couple them, they cancel each other out. And that's one of the things that permaculture strives to do is be able to figure out how the hell does the waste product of one of my components in the system become an in, a direct input to another component in the same system, right? There's a, like, for instance, if we were to go all the way back into permaculture and not even try to, to remodel and given different things, let's say that I've got a whole bunch of quail in cages and they're manuring all over the place, okay? I cannot put something underneath the quail cages that will directly utilize that waste stream where it would normally be. Like I can't just put it over some plants and have that quail, uh, quail feces, uh, hit the plants and have it be like, Oh, it's a fertilizer because it's hot. It's got a lot of nitrogen in it. It'll burn the plants. It'll eventually kill them. I got to be able to do something with the waste stream from the quail. So now let's say that I've got a fish tank. Okay. Fish will eat bird poop, but that's a closed system. That bird poop's going to come in with excess nitrogen. That nitrogen is going to pollute the water, the bacteria that's in the system that is designed, that is specifically there to take nitrogen and turn it into a nitrogen product that the fish aren't poisoned by. This is how uh, aquariums work. Um, is the, the, There's not going to be enough there to quell all the, the raw nitrogen that's going to get into the system. So what do I do? I put something in between the quail poop and the fish that would eat the poop, but would die because of nitrogen uh, poisoning of the water eventually. So I put some, insert something into in between those two systems. And in this particular case, I uh, would put a black soldier fly bin um, and for those of you who don't know what black soldier fly is, it's a, it's a fly that does not have an anus and it does not have a mouth. When it's an adult, it has one job and one job only. It mates. All of its eating is done when it's in the, when, when the children of the uh, black soldier fly are in the larval stage. That's when it has a mouth and an anus and it is voracious. These things are they they get their name because a the fly is black but also so are the so are the larvae and they're maggots there's it's a fly there's no two way it's not a house fly it's different it looks completely different but it's still a fly so therefore the children are still maggots but they are voracious and they eat anything they eat vegetable vegetable matter they eat coffee grinds they eat meat they eat fat they eat all kinds of 
stuff, man. And they, and they produce their larva. If you harvest their larva, um, it ends up being like 45% crude fat and like 27% crude protein. It is an amazing animal feed, especially for fish. So what happens is that I put the quail over the black soldier, uh, black soldier fly bin. And while I'm throwing food waste in there, they're pooping into it. The black soldier fly do not give a shit. They don't care. They eat everything and they convert it to compost. And then when they're done with their larval stage, they crawl out of the, of the container that they're in. If you give it a, if you give them a ramp, they will actually host themselves and go up. They will walk up the ramp and they will exit that system to try to get to dirt. If the fish tank, and I'm talking like a great big one, like outside, like a stock tank, is in is intercepting those larvae before they get to ground and they uh, go right into the water, then the fish have a stream of food that is essentially being fed by the waste stream of another system. And we when we link these systems into a line like this, we're using the waste of one as an input of the other, and there's no difference here. The way that that oil field production works or oil production works out in the field, it causes a waste stream that could be directly used as an input of a Bitcoin mining system. All right, so that's going to be it for not only Marty's Bent, but the comparison of permaculture to the Bitcoin system. And let's move on to the daily train wrecked. Okay, so the daily train wreck today is brought to you by the exchange Quadriga CX at Quadriga Coin X. And they just tweet out, we've posted an update regarding the latest on our company operations. Hmm, I wonder what that could be. Let's find out, shall we? Message from Quadriga Board of Directors, dated January the 31st. 2019. Dear customers, an application for creditor protection in accordance with the company's Creditors Agreement Act, CCAA, was filed today in Nova Scotia Supreme Court to allow us the opportunity to address the significant financial issues that have affected our ability to serve our customers. The court is being asked at a preliminary hearing on Tuesday, February the 5th, to appoint a monitor Ernst & Young Incorporated, as an independent third party to oversee these proceedings. For the past few weeks, we have worked extensively to address our liquidity issues, which include attempting to locate and secure our very significant cryptocurrency reserves held in cold wallets... And that are required to satisfy customer cryptocurrency balances on deposit, as well as sourcing a financial institution to accept the bank drafts that are to be transferred to us. Unfortunately, these efforts have not been successful. Further updates will be issued after the hearing. You cannot find your Trezor hardware wallet. 
That's what this is telling us. They cannot find their cold storage. They are unable to recover their own private keys. This, people, is exactly why you don't trust your keys with anybody else. Not your friend, not your four-year-old, not your dog, not Wells Fargo, not some idiot in some far-flung country on the other's face on the other side of the planet. No. You keep your private keys because if you don't, this shit happens to you. This is exactly what happens to you. And it's not a question of if, it's a question of when and how bad will it be when it does occur because it will. It's not a when, it's not an if, it's a when. It will occur. Whoever had their coins deposited with Quadriga CX has most likely forever lost those coins. And it's it's not like we haven't been screaming this shit for a while. A, a long time, for years. Andreas Antonopoulos has been screaming it ever since I can remember him even being a thing, right? So... <clears throat> Let's go through and and, and, uh, see some of the reactions here. Uh, Jacko says, you should allow customers to move their cryptocurrency to other exchanges, exclamation point. I sincerely hope these scammers are sued for everything they own and do jail time. Chester Ming says, liquidity issues equals not enough cash and coin, scam. Uh, Who else is crying here? Um, Exit scam. Oh, I love this one. Charlie Grima says, let us take our cryptos out. Charlie, no, you're not going to get to take your cryptos out. You know why? Because even these idiots can't find their own freaking keys. Okay, you're toast, Charlie. You're you're done. You're not going to be able to get your crypto. That crypto is gone. It's gone. Whether they exit scammed your ass or they actually did lose the keys, I don't know. And it really doesn't freaking matter because your coins are unavailable to you. That's your fault. And it's your fault for keeping your shit on an exchange. Sorry for you. What else is down here? Um, do, do, do. Uh, let's see. Oh, I, I like that. Crypto Fakir says we should be able to get the fiat in our accounts back. No, Crypto Fakir, you're not getting anything back. They, it's gone, it's gone, because you didn't follow the general rule that almost everybody should know by now: not your keys, not your coins. In the maximalist standpoint, it's not your keys, not your Bitcoin. I keep my keys. Why don't you keep yours? Is there anybody else? Uh, Let's see. Do, do, do. Oh, what about the pending? Oh, oh, and what about the pending withdrawal? Am I ever going to see it? Saz? No. No, Saz. You're not going to see it. It's gone. In fact, Crypto Inspect replies directly to that tweet. Nope, she gone. You know why I said that? Because she gone. Don't do it, people. Everybody's tried to tell you. We've, we will continue to, we will never stop trying to tell you because it's just not right to let anybody go through this industry without screaming multiple times until everybody's sick of hearing it. Not your keys, 
not your Bitcoin. And that's going to do it for your daily train wreck for the day. By God, that's enough. I'm out. I'm completely out. Uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. Um, I really do. I just, you know, go, go find something fun to do with your kids or with your wife or your husband or your significant other. Um, you know, go have fun. If you are not freezing your ass off in the Midwest, that is, if you're low enough down, like, uh, where I'm at, uh, low enough down South, it's not affecting you. Heart goes out to the guys in Minneapolis, Champaign, um, Chicago. Those guys are getting pummeled. And um, I, I hope you all stay safe. Try not to freeze your lungs. Um, if you do have to go outside and it's still like a wind chill of minus 30 or whatever, don't stay out too long. And if you got, I mean, you got to breathe. Try breathing through a, I don't know, like a, um, a scarf or something to at least mitigate some of that air temperature uh, that's going to go into your body and, and, and suck out the heat of your body because it could get you real sick. And in a lot of cases you could, it's possible. It's not outside their own possibility to do permanent damage to the tissue of the lining of your lungs because you're kind of freezing it. So if you don't have to go outside, don't go outside, just stay inside, curl up, read a book, read three. I don't know. In either event for all the rest of you guys that are not freezing your asses off, have a wonderful day, have a wonderful weekend, love each other and yourselves as much as humanly possible. And I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.